Hello everyone and welcome to Discussing Trek. Today we are reviewing Star Trek Prodigy Season 1, Episode 9, A Moral Star, Part 1. Like always, I'm your host Clarence and I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts slash Trekkies, starting with none other than Cal Jones. How are you doing, man? You know what? Increasingly glad to be here in this Prodigy era. So happy to be here. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Doing great. Ready to talk about this first part of this this two-parter. So it should be fun. And also on the podcast, we have Jonathan Shorts. How are you doing, man? I am doing great, man. Doing great. Uh, just with Kyle, I'm glad to be here. Excited to talk about this episode, which I think was awesome. And I'm sure we'll get to that. Uh, just having a good day overall, which is a good thing. So how about yourself? How are you doing? Doing good, man. No complaints. Again, just ready to talk about this episode. And let's get into it. Star Trek Prodigy, A Moral Star Part 1 was written by the entire season one writing room. The episode was directed by Ben Hibben. The crew forego their dreams of Starfleet to return to Tars Lamora in a no-win scenario. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. I'll give you the right. You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you spray something. Like always, we go to Kyle Jones for the beats of the episode. Sometimes serious, sometimes comedic. You never know. Kyle, what do you have for us this week, man? Alrighty, so here's what I've got for you this week. Amazing animation, flawless acting, vile villainy, superb storytelling, leaving me to say that this show continues to be fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. <laughs> and hopefully if things go right everybody lives yes <laughs> indeed so john what are your high level what is your high level opinion of this episode well first do we think this series will ever kill off a character mm, interesting question I, I never thought about it till you just said that and i'm like you know this this is really good and we've said this many times you know short of it being animated like you just really can't tell this is a kid show that being said Normally, a kid show like this, you won't, you don't really kill off a character. Mm. But do we? At least not our main characters. Now, they may go off somewhere, but I don't think they'll kill one of our main characters. See, I, and I, I just have the comfort in mind of knowing <laughs> nobody is going to die because <laughs> it's a kid show. But on the other side of that, this has been so good. And the writers have done such a great job of making it for everybody. And maybe they'll hit us with something unexpected. I hope not. Mm. But anyway, high level view, needless to say, is I love this episode. I have not. I did not see a problem with it. And again, just a classic trick episode that I know and love. Yeah, I can't argue with that. Cal, do you have any additional thoughts in addition to your Val villainy <laughs> that you mentioned before? <laughs> so a discovery, no pun intended, when I was doing the notes for this episode, I did not know mainly because I get missed the title when it came on and mainly number two, that it did not say to be continued. I thought that what I watched until maybe about an hour ago was the quote unquote mini finale for the season. I didn't know there was a part two coming up. So I was left thinking, 
I'm going to have to wait X number of months <laughs> before I get a resolution here. So I'm kind of excited now. Yeah, thank God they didn't make us wait, because boy, that would have hurt. <laughs> yeah, that would have been terrible. I, I I just don't see, like, I think that, <laughs> that would have kind of made the show bad for me if they had left us here at the end of the season. <laughs> like, I expect a cliffhanger, but not this one. No. It was almost like Dune Part 1, you know. Mm. <laughs> if you've seen that movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It I just haven't. ends. <laughs> well, let me say this before we move on. As for, In regards to anything else that I like about the episode, I'll echo everything Jonathan just said. This was superb, awesome, great. I loved it. Uh, but to go into your question about will they ever kill off a character, I think it would be based partly by the fact that this is a joint Paramount slash Nickelodeon, regardless of kid. It's not on public television, and it's not shown, say, Saturday morning cartoons. For instance, back in the 90s when the X-Men cartoon was out, whereas in the comic story, Jean Grey died. Spoilers. Jean Grey didn't die in the cartoon because you couldn't kill off the main character because of censors and the rules that they you couldn't do that. that. So I think they could if they wanted to based on the nature of this program. Oh, boy. Yeah, that would hurt. Let's take a vote. Clarence, who do you think they would? If they planned on it, who do you think it would be? Oh, my God. If I had to pick one of the main characters, it would probably be Zero. Because I believe Uh that's the one you could connect to the least. Really? Yeah, yeah. You know, this non-corporeal being in a a robot's body. You know, I I don't know. With it. Would that be emotionally pulling? I think any of them dying is going to be emotionally pulling. Even Murph, you know? Yeah, I would hate to lose Murph. Maybe more so for the kiddos with Murph, because, you know, that's kind of the the kid character, if you have to pick one, you know? Cal, what do you say? Mm, I think I'm going to go with that also. I have two candidates of characters that I really wouldn't want it. Well, I really wouldn't want it to be any of them, but I think the one I would least want it to be is Gwen. Hmm. Ardell. So, <laughs> Kyle, you're going to hate me, but I think the logical choice, and as much as I would hate it as well, I think Gwen would be that one. Don't like, you it's, dare. It's enough to kind of tug on your heart a bit. Like, oh, no. Like, if Zero was gone, to your point, Clarence, if we lose Zero, it's like, oh, but, you know, we move on. But to lose Gwen would be like a hit. It would be devastating. But it would be it would be a I don't I don't want to say good, but <laughs> Yeah, they can they can definitely make a good story out of it, seeing as who her father is and the impact that would have as having her just come into the crew and gelled as part of the crew, you know? Yeah. And then make it as a sacrifice. I oh mean, you know? boy. But 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 let me let me go and stress something again and, and I keep stressing coming back to this, and I keep stressing it, and I can't stress it enough, which is we're having (laughs) real-world conversations about animated characters, and that says this pro... No, seriously, I'm giving it a compliment. That says this character... These characters have gelled with us, and we like them. We're invested in them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And before we get into just some of the more details, like... I did really enjoy this episode. I was left wanting more, which I guess was the whole point of this being a part one. Good to see the team come together. And we had what I feel is like a tearjerker moment 
in certain parts of this episode. We're going to get all that. But we start off the episode with the message. You know, we get kind of the message through their conversation that they're, they're finally gelling as a team. They hear about the diviner still looking for him. And we get this message to Quinn asking her to come back to him. And, and, and the diviner will release the unwanted or the rest of the miners there on Tars Lamora, or they'll pay the price if they're not back in one day, one day's time, which who knows what 24 hours means in space, but be that as it may, would you go back is my question to you guys. And I'm just throwing it out there for any of you guys to take and discuss how you want to. Would you go back knowing what you know about this crew? I was more on board with going to Starfleet. And here's my logic. Like you just said, we have to think about this crew. And as much as we've grown, we're still not capable of a mission of this magnitude. And we're not talking about going back to rescue one or two people. We're talking about a lot of people to rescue without a ship. And so their main worry of going to Starfleet was what if we get there and they're not able to get back in time? Well, let's assume this protostar has been around for a while and it has this drive. Why not assume that Starfleet has this technology in production now. Mm. I would feel like the minds of Starfleet, and I don't know why Janeway didn't echo this, which bothers me. Because I would have thought Janeway would have been the first to say, we absolutely must go back to Starfleet and have the best minds come together and work out a plan for this. Yeah, you see where Dal is finally feeling the weight of command and she leaves the decision to him. To, to make. Kyle, what do you think? Yeah, can I jump in real quick? Yeah. So, oh, I really want to jump in. So I go back to my discussion that I had last week or the point I brought up last week. We need not to confuse hologram Janeway with Admiral Captain whatever Janeway, because, because I still say this program is Janeway-like. You know, she's based on Janeway, but she still has her own prime directives, quote unquote. And she's not. So I guess what I'm saying is when she doesn't do something Janeway-ish, maybe it's because she's not really Janeway for all intents and purposes. But I but I see your point and totally agree with it. Well, I have to I have to flip it a little bit and say, even if it wasn't a Janeway hologram, any Starfleet hologram programmed as a training hologram, that would have been, do you not think that would have been the first rule of action? Point taken. Very good point. Now, let me let me also, and I'm asking this before I forget it because I'm t- prone to forget things, is I agree with everything you said on your point earlier about n- the decision they should have gone to Starfleet. However, just to point the alternate direction, I also think that this presented an example not necessarily of where they are, but their potential of what they can be. Their selflessness in this point, where in many ways the easier way would have been to go to Starfleet and then get someone else to come back and fight the battle with them, and which may be logical, the best thing they should have done. But I think it showed character for the characters by going and saying, okay, we're going to go back and we're going to help. We know the odds are against us, but this is what we're going to do. And that could fall into Star Trek Next Generation. That could fall into any of the Star Treks as things that they have done before. So that's my counter. Mm. 
and I can and I I definitely see that point. Like as far as storyline goes, this was the best option. You know, as as far as our appreciation for the show, I would not have appreciated the episode as much if we had involved someone else. It it, it would have t- taken away from the show, but just in a Vulcan logical perspective, <laughs> <laughs> going back to Starfleet would have been the way to go. Oh, agreed totally. And and I'm going to present a third option that they did not, which which this is what I think they actually did that we're going to find out in part two. I have a feeling they contacted Starfleet, but still jumped over to help. Because to me, that would make the most sense. Now, if Starfleet does have a proto drive, they could use it to get there or they may have some other means. But I think they at least contacted them because I think that's what Janeway would tell them to do. And they seem mighty comfortable. I mean, with the exception of the Gwen thing not going part of plan, like they seem mighty comfortable knowing they did not have a ship to get everybody off, you know? So, yeah, you're right. That could be a very logical way of doing things. That would be good. That would be a good plan. It could be that we may see the Federation come in in a blaze of glory like the Klingons did in season, (laughs) in the the second season of Discovery. Or either the Ferengi. (laughs) (laughs) So this is something that kind of puzzled me, and I want your, your thoughts on this. So it turns out, speaking of their options here, it turns out they would have only had enough power to do one proto warp. But it was under my impression that having the proto star would be like an unlimited source of power for the USS proto star. Was I wrong in thinking that? I obviously was, but it seems like unless I'm just unclear on what the proto drive actually is or the proto core actually is. Ah, see, my good sir, you did not pay attention. Hmm. Help me out here. I was thinking the same thing until the diviner got on the proto star and his words were start re I don't know exact words. start recharging the proto drive or re. So in other words, it has to charge. And I don't think our motley crew knew that. See, I thought there was something totally different because dreadnought. He mentioned he mentions initiating rapid regeneration protocols. Right. So that makes sense. You're right. Maybe they just didn't know how to do that. You're right. You're totally right in that. Because I thought he was talking about something totally different. Like, oh, is he getting ready to uh, make a regeneration pod for the Diviner? That's what I was thinking. But I think you're totally right in that assessment. Because I I was like you, like when they said that, like they could only have one jump. I was like, well, that seems like a crappy piece of technology. (laughs) (laughs) It's not like they just patched this up and put it in the ship. Like the ship was designed around it. So you would think in a protostar. I mean, there's a lot of energy in a protostar. So, but and that was my thought. Until he said that, I was very confused, but that kind of made me feel better about it. Yeah, and that would make sense since Janeway knew nothing about the, the protostar drive in the first place. It had been right. erased from my memory. So that makes a lot of sense. It makes it much more valuable in that case. <laughs> so let's make a plan. Cue the montage. While I felt it was a bit dubious on the effect- effectiveness of a plan that these this crew could come up with, I have to admit, through that whole montage, make a plan scene, when they emerged with those new freaking uniforms, it pulled at the heartstrings. Cal, your thoughts on the Protostar Cadet uniforms? I thought they were cool. They were they they were different. They were but but you know, I think we kind of expected it to be a little bit different. I didn't have the the fields of the the uniform, but 
again, you know, as much as I love Star Trek, I'm not as Trek centric and knowledgeable as you guys are to me. Now, that's sort of like in comparison, Clarence, whenever I geek out over a new Doctor Who opening sequence and you're <laughs> like, OK, yeah, it was uh, <laughs> it, it, it was the same music, just a different variation. So to me, the new costumes or the new say, say what I'm saying, costume, yeah. not uniform. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I, I've tried to point this out to many people. And I guess the hatred of this, the Enterprise theme song at the beginning. Yeah. And I think Clarence, you and I've had this discussion, but like going into like season four, they changed it just a bit. Like they sped up the tempo and I hate it. And I love the original, but a lot of people don't notice that. And I guess you don't notice it if you hate the song and never listen to it to start with. <laughs> but yeah, I get your point, Kyle. It's just you have to geek out over it. But the 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 uniforms, yeah, I I, I get the heartstring pulls there for that. Just because they were and not not that even if for me like not even because I'm a Trek fan and I love uniforms, they just actually looked cool. They did. Now, I'm not saying they didn't look cool. I'm just saying that I didn't have the the heartstrings. I mean, I had the oh, ooh, this is a cool moment, but I just didn't have the oh my goodness, it's a new blah blah blah. Right. And imagine they found one to fit rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that's some kind of synthetic material. Let me tell you. But, you know, they reminded me a little bit of the Voyager, the uniforms that Tom and Harry had when they were racing. Oh, yeah. That, those were awesome. Those I love were those so uniforms. Cool. <laughs> yeah, but I do like I really like the new design on these. And, you know, who knows if we'll see them again somewhere. So here we go, guys. Let's prepare that proto drive on my mark. Ready? Go fast. <laughs> Thoughts. Typical teenager. <laughs> yes. I was going to say very fitting for him. <laughs> very fitting. I was thinking Ricky Bobby. I'm going fast, mama. It, it, it was perfect. It was perfect for Dog. Like, I, I do, if he would have said anything else, I probably wouldn't have appreciated it. Like, I, I, I felt it building, especially when he said ready and there was a hesitation. I was like, oh, boy, what's it going to be? Like, and I don't know why that was, why it's so important, but it is like, yeah, whatever those next words are going to be will define his leadership. And I don't know why that is in trick, but it it is. And I think they were perfect. I mean, if, if I saw Picard or Janeway or somebody say it, I was like, you silly goof, but <laughs> <laughs> it works for this crew, man. Yeah. And what's so cool about it, too, is that they were already in warp. You know, they go to warp first and then they engage the proto drive, which I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that was. And then just to see how how it changes, like the scenery, the the, the view like that. That's just an awesome drive. I love that. So the protostar arrives and our team executes or starts to execute their plan. They face the diviner and seize over the protostar. As well as Gwen, which was surprising. She she goes along in exchange for everybody's freedom. So I can I continue to hate the diviner and I think I hate him as much. You know, I like him as a character, but just just his utter disdain for the Federation kind of puzzled me. But it's also interesting. And and Gwen, when he mentions the uniforms, he just shows that hate for for the Federation. And I'm just I just keep thinking there has to be something more there. Gwen mentions striving for a better future while the diviner, he kind of says lies in hypocrisy. 
So what have they done to this dude? They have really done something to this guy. And I got to know what it is before I go crazy. You know, I just had a fleeting thought and it's way out there. Grab. Okay. This is a very far fetched stretch of the imagination of what it could be. But could it be like Chakotay had a bad accident? And somehow he died or was dying, and the only way he could save himself was to be turned into this diviner thing. Uh, mm, I'm not buying that one. Or maybe mm. a Starfleet, somebody that was in Starfleet at some point and was hurt really bad, or somehow changed to this and blamed Starfleet for it. But mm. I, I could, I could, I'm, not, I'm gonna let you, you jump in, Cal, but I continue to wonder why the protostar is his salvation, his his races or his r- group of aliens. Wh- why is it their salvation? And we learn in this episode that it's not only the USS Protostar, but it's also the core. It, it, the core has something to do with that. So is that star? And I think we mentioned this before. Is that Protostar like a religious symbol? Does it somehow contain... Um, is it is it his race, the race of his people from frozen in a moment of time? Like what's it it has to be some significance to his race or his origins. Uh, but I think we were gonna get that answer, but he just kinda he kinda didn't give us enough when he was talking about I have Linda. an idea. I have an idea. So Jonathan has has a uh, has an idea. I'm gonna pose another idea. Let's hear it. Okay, so we keep getting this look on Gwen and the Diviner that, you know, they've got the glowing heads and so forth. We don't know as fact, I don't think, that they are organic beings. I like where you're going with this. So what if the Federation took, took a star, that the protostar, that was by a quote-unquote dead planet, that there was no life on, at least that they could register, and use this to make the protostar ship, et cetera, and so forth. And by taking away the star, it either killed everyone or put everyone in some type of dormant type of stasis or whatever, and he needs the protostar to reignite the planet. That, that 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 makes sense as well. Now, the only issue I have, and it still could be possible, but remember, the, the definition of a protostar is the initial formation of a star. Ah, ah, got you. So it wouldn't, the planet wouldn't necessarily have been dependent upon this protostar at the moment, but I still like where you're going. And they, I think dead was the right word, but maybe this planet had a dead or dying star. And this protostar was its salvation. Mm. Ooh, I like that, too. You know what, guys? Let, let me pose another theory. Let me pose a third theory. Now, you know, when well, if you go back and look at the footage of when they power up the protodrive, like these blue lines spread throughout the ship, you know, in the background, kind of uh, on the engines. You can kind of see it like just blue lines everywhere. Those are the same color as the blue that bluish green that shows up on Gwen and the Diviner when they're like mind melding or, you know, they're using their power to talk to each other. So I'm wondering if maybe just this drive was just a, or this star, this star formation was just a source of their people's power altogether. Mm. 
Very true. Oh, man, we need answers. <laughs> Theories galore. So, next question. Did any of you guys see the ruse with fake Zero, also known as Murph in a Zero suit, coming? <laughs> no, not at all. You know what? They do a great job because I didn't see it at all either. But when I watched the episode again, they allude to every bit of it. Every bit of it. You see Rock go and get Murph and say, okay, it's time to get ready. Before they get off the ship, you see Zero beam down. And also, when you get on actual Tars Lamora, you see either uh, Jankum or Rock carrying the fake Zero the whole time. So it, it was so cool to go back and see, okay, yeah. they, they, it was, the writing was on a wall there. Well, see, and they threw me off when Rock said, tell uh, Murph let's go get ready because she used the words let's go play dress up yeah so I'm thinking they figured out a way to give Murph a uniform (laughs) 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 so that's what that's kind of threw me off on that does Murph deserve a uniform let's just be clear yes (laughs) no he deserves a uniform with three pips (laughs) no pips (laughs) oh the Murph height is real oh it is man and I don't get it Oh, uh, he, he, Cal. Well, he's he's useful for something. What do you think about him consuming the Proto Star and keeping it safe? I mean, good use of the character. No, oh, absolutely good use of <laughs> use of the character. Totally, but but it but you've all but it wasn't out of left field. And whenever I say it was good use of the character, you've established before that he can eat things. You can yeah. establish that he can eat anything, and he's pretty much indestructible. We've seen him outside the ship and be fine. So it wasn't that, oh, look, now he, you know, ate the protostar and kept it. I, I I thought it was just, well, yes, very good use of the character. But man, to swallow a star redefines the word indestructible. Like there's a lot of indestructible items that I could think of that you would throw into a star and it would be destroyed. And he just swallowed the thing and smiled. That's awesome. That is awesome. Listen, Murph is man. I, I, <laughs> I like Murph. Well, I would have to assume like even the creation of the proto drive, just the containment part of it was probably the biggest issue right. to try to find something to contain it. So with the Rev 12's power generators gone, which the Diviner destroyed as he as he left. I mean, it, it, it seemed like now it's a race against time. I'm ready for the conclusion. And I, I guess one of my biggest questions was. I guess the Rev 12 is the only thing that can really get all the people off the planet. I don't remember how big it was, but I I think it was pretty big. So how do you guys see this thing concluding? How do y'all see it concluding as the Diviner like heads back to to get the the proto proto drive or the proto core on Tars Lamora? Any any predictions or any other thing you want to bring up about the episode that I haven't mentioned already? I don't have. Again, I went into this thinking I was waiting six months or so. To see the next one. So I really don't because I haven't had time to think about it. But I'm psyched over the fact that I get to see the next episode this week. Yep. So I, uh, you know, really, I didn't have many theories until you threw your third option that they had. They contacted Starfleet and Starfleet is coming. So I'm really on board with that. I'm curious as to why they chose to bring jetpacks. And I guess they help them move faster, number one. But number two, I foresee a problem. Let's hear it. It's going to be these 
slave laborers are going to be institutionalized. A lot of them, I, I think they're not going to want to leave. So you, you remember, and this could have just been a writer's gap, a miss, but you know, he released the restraints from them all, but you see right toward the end that they had a few people still working. Yeah. It was like the whole, um, open the cage of something that's been in captivity for so long. Right. So I think we're going to run into a problem. I think I do think Starfleet is coming or the Ferengi ship or some other ship they've contacted. Somebody's coming to help them. I like that idea. But I think they're going to have an issue getting everybody to come to leave the planet. And the last thing is, unless I miss something in the first couple of episodes, what's the significance of this bunny? Oh, you're talking about the Cation, the cat. Yeah, I guess it was the cat. <laughs> I mean, I don't think there's any significance to her other than this is one of the characters that Gwendola left behind when she left the planet. Um, uh, yeah, and she was very hurt when they brought her too. Gotcha, gotcha. And gotcha. I think I, I think seeing that that that's actually one of my predictions. Um, if I were to have a prediction now that I'm thinking about it, I'm wondering if that character goes with them. I hope so. She's kind of awesome. <laughs> she looks yeah. awesome anyway. I like the character yeah. design. I do too. Totally do. Because remember, one of my problems when they did leave was that they left her. Yep. Yep. Me too. Me too. So I, um, I didn't even remember. So <laughs> <laughs> now, if you want to think predictions, going off of what Jonathan said in regards to some of them may not want to leave, there is a possibility, even though I don't think I would like this. That Gwen stays behind, not as a ruler or as a dictator or an overseer, but as a facilitator. And that's even still not a good word, but you kind of get where I'm going with yeah. that. She stays to make sure the people are taken care of. Right. And, and, and honestly, it's like a very valuable place to be. I mean, we've established that this um, chimera that this chimera is very valuable and it's an energy source. So I can see some of them maybe just staying to use that as a means to live, <laughs> you know, make money. So I don't know. And we were talking about killing off a character. I mean, Gwen could be left there and that's the end of Gwen. Not dead, but. Yeah, I can see her saying that my father started this and we have to stay and care for these people. I can I can see her saying that as well. But yeah, we're going to we're going to wrap up there. I mean, we just got one part of this episode, so um, I am amped for the conclusion. And then like we have a long hiatus until I think October for the, the second half of the season. I honestly thought this was only going to be a 10 episode season, to be honest. But cool that we're going to get more episodes this year in 2022. Cal Jones, how do you rate this episode, sir? Oh, absolutely easy. Totally, totally easy. Five, five out of five. Oh, wow. Five out of five for Mr. Jones. Jonathan, what do you think? Five. Man? Oh, wow. I guess I'm going to have to go with five, too, man. I, I, the, <laughs> the, my only reservation about giving it a five is that I want to see the rest of the story. And I feel like just like I felt Dune was like a five out of five. It's only a part of the story. Now, we didn't mention then real quick before we wrap up. We didn't did not mention Evil Janeway or Evil Hologram Janeway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. Uh, man, mirror universe. Like, that's just what I thought about. Like, it's a mirror version of the uh, Janeway hologram. I would say I'm going to take your mirror Janeway universe hologram and raise it by gothic mirror version (laughs) hologram. Touche, sir. Touche. (laughs) 
All right. And with that, guys, if you have thoughts on this episode, A Moral Star Part 1, please send in your thoughts along with your predictions for Part 2 into fans at DiscussingTrek.com or hit us up at DiscussingTrek on any and all social medias. And you can also use those outlets to respond to Trek trivia. John, what do you have for us this week, sir? All right. So in my research for my Trek trivia, I ran across a fact or two. So first, I'll give you a little known fact. You know, propulsion has been kind of part of this story. Did you know that Gene Roddenberry originally intended the Enterprise to become transparent when in warp drive? What? (laughs) The idea was that the ship would be traveling faster in light, which means that the light would not reach it, rendering the vessel invisible to the naked eye. However, according to Einstein's theory of special relativity, the speed of light is a constant form. Any frame of reference an observer moving at close to constant would still observe light. Yeah. Yeah. So since since we're most of the time when we get a view of it, we're in the warp field moving with the ship. You wouldn't right. see the ship. Yeah. Right. So that that was interesting to know. But my tri- trivia. So we we you we've heard a lot of different names throughout different shows for this faster and light travel. And you got the uh, FTL and Star Wars and we've heard hyperdrive and hyperspeed and all that. Well, in Trek, we know it as the warp drive or warp speed. But do you know what the official term used by Zephyrin Cochran, who invented the warp drive, who well designed Earth's first warp drive? Do you know what his official term for it was? Budweiser. <laughs> Man, how did you know he was a drunk? <laughs> yeah, he was a bit of a drunk. Yeah. Um, no, I don't. I do not know that. Do we want to table that or give the answer now? We'll table that. We'll let's we'll let the fans do a little research and see what they come up with. So the question is, what was Zephyrin Cochran's original name for traveling at warp and his original official term? So warp drive is not really the official term. Mm. See, I'm definitely thinking about um, first contact here. Oh, wow. Okay, I have to do some research on this one. (laughs) I'll be glad to hear some answers. All right, guys. Well, if you know the answer to said question, again, you can send that in to fans at DiscussingTrek.com or hit us up at DiscussingTrek on any and all social medias. Thank you for listening. We can't wait for part two of this two-parter. And until next time, guys, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to DiscussingTrek.com slash subscribe.
Hey guys, it's Sergio from Reality Breached. We've got a bunch of different podcasts over on our network at realitybreached.com, and one of my favorites is Shellheads, a TMNT podcast. Shellheads is a deep dive into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in ways you've never heard before. From the early comic days to the current Nick show, nothing is off limits. Jeff from the Warp Zone Arcade joins me to binge watch and power read through a comprehensive library of TMNT fandom. Check Shellheads out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. For more details, visit realitybreached.com. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at discussingnetwork.com.